Hey, Trevor, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Aram. All right. So for the uninitiated, for people who wouldn't know or for people who do know, but they don't know what it means to be uh, in your role in the organization you're in. Tell us what a COO does. So a chief a chief operating officer, what does that look like for you day to day? So Aram, as a chief operating officer of Bison Transport, we uh, we run one of the largest uh, uh, fleets of tractor trailers in, uh, in North America. And with, with my responsibilities, that is to ensure uh, the, all of our teams that are uh, charged with uh, interacting with our customers and our drivers and all of the people in between that make uh, make the, the freight move around North America seamlessly are are in place and doing uh, doing what they need to do. So my responsibilities cover sales, operations, equipment, and maintenance, as well as our analytics uh, efforts in uh, in managing all the uh, all the data that we produce. So it's a it's a fairly broad role that uh, that uh, that changes day to day based on uh, based on what's happening in the uh, in the business. Okay. That's a great answer because like the COO role is always a little bit misty, right? Like some organizations really know what it is and other ones are like, we don't even know. And actually the CEO, COO was kind of a, a role that was seeming to go away a little bit, but now it started to come back in. So what was your path to this role? Yeah. So I, I joined into, uh, into Bison Transport, uh, which at the time was a, a very small uh, trucking company, about uh, about 65 trucks uh, based in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I got right involved in what we call operations. And that's uh, dispatching, providing support to our drivers on the road, as well as interacting with our, with our clients. Uh, over the years, I've uh, was uh, fortunate enough to take on increasing roles of responsibility through the operating elements of our of our business, and as we expanded our uh, our business through that uh, uh, through that whole period, uh, was able to involve myself in startup uh, startup units like when we developed refrigerated services or intermodal services or logistics mm-hmm. services. And so every time there was an opportunity to to grow the business, uh, jumped on it and uh, and and really uh, really went with it that way to to get to uh, to where we are today. How defined were those roles though? So when you started, when you joined the organization, it was smaller. It was a, a smaller place, and it's grown. So when you started, were your roles? very defined and kind of like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do here and easy to, to do, or was there always an element of trying to like, well, what is this role and how do I make it work? Yeah, very much the, uh, very much the latter. And just, and just for, for context for you, um, yeah, we were a 65 truck operation, which might've had, uh, you know, seven or $8 million in sales at that, uh, at that point, uh, next year, we're going to do a billion dollars in sales across, uh, across all of our different, uh, different business units. And through that, um, the the roles were defined to a degree. You'd have this sort of core responsibilities, but uh, when you go through a transformation of that size and and that many different things going on in the business, it's it's always evolving. And so you you really, as a leader, are looking to apply yourself into whatever area needs uh, needs your attention. And so there's a bit of ambiguity with that, which I think um, any good leader needs to square themselves up with to say, um, you know, here's what my core responsibilities are, but also be on the watch out for what is, uh, you know, what is needed and, uh, and then understand how you might be part of that, uh, that solution to that need. Yeah. Well, uh, 7 million to 1 billion is, I mean, that's a little bit of a jump, man. That's a, that's a slight increase. So if you're thinking about it from roll to roll to roll, how did you square up with ambiguity. And, you know, the reason I'm pushing on this is the COO role is something I've always been a bit fascinated with because it's like, it is actually quite ambiguous. It sounds like it's something really clear, but from company to to company, it could be like a totally different beast. So how did you, as you went on that path and as the organization went through this drastic growth, how did you square up with that ambiguity? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right, Aram, in terms of the the various definitions to the uh, to the COO title, and I think a lot of that is predicated likely on the type of business that you're in, and operations can be can be quite different from one organization to uh, to another. In the transportation industry, you know, it's 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 fairly uh, fairly well known to say, you know, what does it take to actually get the work that you're being paid for accomplished? And, and, uh, and that's kind of the starting point for, uh, for the operating elements of it. So how you square up the, the ambiguity of, uh, of a growing organization with lots of moving parts. Um, you know, it's something that I think you really have to start with a mindset that says, um, I'm okay with the fact that I, I, I won't know necessarily 
everything that is going to be required uh, of me in a given day, week, or month, uh, but to be uh, to be prepared to be flexible around uh, around that uh, around that whole concept. The positive element that I would I would highlight about it is that, uh, and I've always felt this way in my career, is that if there was a problem or an opportunity, and there always and there always is, I had the wherewithal to be part of that solution. I wasn't looking to say, okay, is this, is this somebody else's to do? This is something that I can I can have influence on myself. Through that uh, feedback cycle that goes on with uh, with having some uh, you know tough learnings with that and some and some good experiences with it. Uh, you get uh, you get comfortable with that uh, nature of things. Well, that accountability that you just talked about, that willingness to be like, actually, yeah, I, I can actually be a part of making this happen. Was that something natural to you, or something that you learned through your career? There's a little bit of that instinct that I've that I've had over time, um, but was very fortunate that uh, as I got started in my career, uh, there was a number of people around me that that led that way by example, and, and where you know it. It could have been easy to get into a tendency of saying, you know, why doesn't somebody fix that? Or this is a real problem. You know, I, I can't deal with this anymore. I saw people that were that were of that mindset to say, uh, let's let's get in here and do something about it. And uh, or or without even saying that, uh, they just did. And you uh, and you watch that and you said, okay, there's something, you know, there's something to that. And and uh, so whenever you edged towards uh, maybe. A more passive approach of being a being a victim in a situation, you'd say, "No, I I, I don't think that's what that's what John would do in this situation." So, uh, so you you learn you learn along the way. Yeah, it sounds like you were influenced by the people around you. Yeah, big time, and you know, that's, I think anybody that has any level of success or in any organization that does has to, you know, you can you can you can be an influencer in that yourself, uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, bigger part is that you have to be fortunate enough to have enough of the right people around you uh, and enough of the things go right in order to uh, in order to actually make it make it happen. Yeah, because it's not just as easy as being like, oh, I surround myself with the right people, which is which is actually quite hard. But that's like part of the equation, surrounding yourself with the right people. But also part of it is like being in the right business and also a little bit of like the blind luck of just, you know, the right stuff's got to happen. Yeah, it it really is, and and in our industry, as as we were as we were making our way, and there was lots of examples you could see around where there was there was companies that were bigger than us and better than us, and and uh, and had some things going for them. Uh, but you often see in certainly in our industry that they they'd reach a certain size and they would notably fail either with their people or with their customers or in their in their reputation and you you'd be curious and say you know why is that what's happening there and and uh, and what do we what do we need to to learn about that and so you know in that degree you you can ideally make some of your own luck but there's there's no question in my mind that you know right place right time right people uh, you need you need a little bit of that uh, of that karma to, to be to be in place for you for uh, for things to work out and i uh, i don't i never diminish that uh, that part of the equation totally man because there's always just some element of less like luck just the right people the right place all of that uh so a question for you though, if we're hitting on that accountability and, and actually even around like, let's say ambiguity from your perspective, how do you get people there? So let's say someone who's not experienced with dealing with ambiguity. And I'd like the term that you do earlier, like square up with it. So someone who's not um, really familiar or comfortable dealing with ambiguity or someone that you want to impress, uh, help them become a bit more accountable. And the reason why I'm focusing on accountability here and actually ambiguity is I hear people a lot of feedback from leaders like, oh, I just want people to be comfortable with ambiguity or oh, I just want them to become more accountable when these are actually like really complex psychological um, things that need to happen. And it's both how you think about it and also the skills you have. So how do you as a leader like coach and mentor people up to, to get more comfortable with those things? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a few different uh tactics I, I would uh, I would use and 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 think about and our business is one that always um, provides a lot of different circumstances, and so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of in the moment types of experiences. And um, you know, I know we're recording this at a moment in time, but we're 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 in another one of those situations right now where, uh, and I think you're in the Lower Mainland. Uh, I'm in Vancouver. 
Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're close to a, you know, a real natural disaster that's going on right now. And that, that ties right into, right into our industry. And as a team, you know, we've spent a lot of time this week uh, going through, you know, how, how do we respond to this situation Mm. that is really unprecedented to have this level of, of impact to a, to an area of the country where, where, where a city is, is actually inaccessible by 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 roadway for a period of time. You say, let's draw off our other experiences with that and say, there's no playbook that that says, okay, you know, you do A, B, and C when 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 every when every single highway is closed for a prolonged period of time. It's it's like, guys, we need to we need to ask the questions to say, what is possible here? What's in what's in our sphere of influence? What's in our control? And uh, and let's get at it. And there's the questioning in in the live moments and situations. Uh, and then you you also need to combine that with an appropriate amount of direction when when it's you know when it's needed. Say, um, okay, here's uh, here's here's something that we're going to do, and we should get this out to to our to our team now. And so combining between between the, uh, you know that concept of questioning and drawing out and getting getting people to be thinking through it as you're as you're as you're as you're going through it, and then and then providing direction at the same time. Yeah, I, I love that. Would you mind if I share a little bit of my uh, philosophy around coaching people in terms of like vague things like accountability and uh, and getting comfortable with ambiguity? Please. When I think of coaching, I I like to break it down because I think like coaching is like such a vague term. It's like oh, I got to be a great coach. It's like well, whoa, what do you mean? And there's there's three ways I look at it. Instructing. So instructing someone is just showing someone how to do something. And that's super valuable. Like, you know, you show someone how to do something and then you get them to do it over and over again. And through doing it again, and again, through repetition and feedback, they get better at it. So they become more precise at it. That's instruction. Then I go over to the other side where I'd say there's influence and influence is, is like kind of when you're talking about learning how to square up with ambiguity and, and also accountability influence is shaping the way people think. Right. And it's about, uh, and you could be doing that directly by talking to them about an idea or they could just be watching you, but you're influencing their thinking. So one is an action. You're instructing on an action. The other one is, an, is that you're challenging or helping form up thinking. Neither of those is coaching, in my opinion. One's instructing and one's influencing thinking. The middle ground between those two is coaching. Coaching is where you're instructing someone and you're also trying to change their thinking. So I think of like a good driving instructor, like a good driving instructor would be an incredible coach because you're not just teaching someone like the mechanics of how to drive. You're also trying to teach them how to be a good citizen of the road, how to be like, hey, if someone cuts you off, they're not just necessarily being a jerk to you. Maybe they're in an emergency or maybe they just literally it was just a lapse of judgment. They didn't realize what they did. The realm of probability that they were being a jerk is probably like that's the lowest thing. And there could have been a complex set of, set of circumstances that brought you guys together. So instead of reacting to them and speeding up and kind of shaking your fists at them, instead, you take a pause and figure out how to be a good citizen of the road. That's showing someone how to drive, but also how to think about driving. So you could be teaching them about about defensive driving tactics while also teaching them how to be a good citizen of the road. And for me, that would be coaching, that middle ground between instruction and influencing. Yeah, I, I like I like that framework certainly, and and, uh, and I think that's you know we're, we're, and I think in trying to influence, you're certainly you know you ask you try to ask that thoughtful question or uh, or, or frame up that scenario and, and get people to really ideally arrive there uh, arrive there on their own. Totally. Uh, the other piece that I'd, I'd put in, and this goes to accountability specifically, is like I always the first question I ask when people talk about, hey, I want people to be more accountable. I'm like, well, are you clear in what you're asking them? And communication is an interesting thing because like you or me or anyone could be like, oh, so and so didn't do it. But the first question we have to say is, well, did I make it clear what I was asking them to do? And that's where I think the, the value of a really strong call to action and a call to action is like, it should be three things concrete. What exactly are you asking someone to do? Like specifically, what are the actions? And that should be timely. Like, when is it going to get done? And then it should be assignable. Everyone involved should know what their parts are. So concrete, timely, assignable call to action. I'd say like a pretty, you know, very often when I'm like, oh, Aram, we've got to get that person to be more accountable. They're like, well, what's the work that maybe you need to do about being a little bit more clear in your asks? Are you being concrete? Are you being a timely? Are you being, is it, is it assignable? Because we all have habits as leaders where we're just kind of like 
we think we're expressing what needs to be done and then we're leaving people kind of guessing. And if your audience has to do too much work around figuring out what you want, then there's no way they can be accountable to it because they don't know. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the, you know, the leader that bemoans the accountability of his team or a colleague um, is uh, is not looking in the mirror enough uh, because it uh, it can often be related to how the expectation is set and whether it's clear enough. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. I, and like, I want to get to some of the the challenges of the specific world you're in, but I do want to stay a little bit with your development as a professional, if you don't mind. Sure. All right. So in your growth, you know, you're going through this like. You join this company, it's relatively small, although for some people that would still be a huge company to join, but it's relatively small compared to what it is today. And you're going up, you're going from role to role, you're squaring up with, you know, like vagueness and kind of figuring things out. What's different about you today than how you were as a professional, let's say two to five years ago? What's like, can you say is like specifically different about you now? I would say from in the last two or three years, I'll, I'll say really uh, honing my ability to uh, look at things from a uh, from a strategic lens. Like as a, as a, as an operator, as somebody that was born in sort of the guts of the business, um, you know, it uh, it's like the it's the always available high. Uh, if you will, to be into the, you know, into the action and here, you know, what are we doing? How are we doing it? I've got, uh, you know, I've got valuable experience in here and I enjoy sharing that and, and, and being, and being a part of that. But as your business grows and, and I mentioned, you know, learning from, learning from, from actively assessing other businesses and, and when they grow and sometimes lose their mojo and what got them there and, and why that happens. And you say, if you're going to, if you're going to fulfill the need of a, of a larger organization and you say, you have to remember the, the core elements that made you successful, but you can't, you can't ride them uh, endlessly. And you have to say, okay, so what are we going to do differently now to, uh, in order to make that happen? And I've become increasingly aware and, and I'll say to a degree comfortable with the, uh, with the fact that we need to continue to you know push the different elements of our, of our business, not just what we do, but how we do it in order to, uh, mm. in, in order to, to make sure that we, uh, that we can be, that we can be sustainable being in the same organization for my entire career, which is not, uh, as common, uh, these days, or maybe, maybe, maybe it never was. And people will ask me about that and say, how do you, know, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? I go, well, I've, I've had the benefit of it, not, uh, being the same, not being the same company from where I started to where it is now. It's, it's completely different. So I, I don't even view it necessarily as, as the same. And, and as I mentioned off the top, I, you know, you know, I've always had this ability, you know, thought that I would have influence over it. So I said, if I don't like something, then I then I should probably fix it, uh, or be a part of the of the solution to fix it. And so that's what's kept me that's what's kept me going and and my renewal uh, process through uh, you know through uh, mm-hmm. what's turned out to be a pretty long career in uh, in in the business. Yeah, I love that. That's a great answer. All right, I got two more questions about your journey, and then I want to go over to the industry you're in, if that's okay. Yeah, please. All right. What's a piece of feedback that you've gotten in your career, like developmental feedback that you've been able to successfully address and how did you do it? Uh, early on, uh, uh, I, I got some feedback that, uh, told me explicitly, you know, you, uh, you need to be a bit tougher. You need to, uh, and, and what, and what my, my leader and, and, and mentor, uh, it was, was really referring to there was not obviously physically tough, although that, 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 that could be the case, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, it was, it was beef up, man. <laughs> exactly. You got to bulk up for this. Business. But, <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was more, it was more on the lines of, uh, of being able to, you know, have those, have those meaningful but difficult conversations uh to you know and that that could be with a team member or a member of our driving staff or or uh, or you know even to a customer and say you know like we've we've got to be able to assert ourselves in the in the situations that call for it uh other otherwise otherwise there's a there's going to be a, a lack of order and and uh and even respect uh, if that's uh, if that's if that's going to be going to be it. So, so that was one, that was one that I, that I had, uh, that I had received, uh, pretty early on and, and I think put it into the right context and right, uh, and right use. Mm-hmm. So how did you get there though? How did you address it? 
you know, probably, uh, if I'm honest, uh, through lots of uh, lots of repetition and uh, and and uh, and ample opportunity to, to exercise and practice it. And and to be honest, it's it's uh, it would be still something that I would be aware of and and uh, and work on today. I I've got a. I've got an empathetic nature and I want to ensure that, you know, I always am understanding what somebody else might be going through or, or where they're coming from. And, and you want to make sure that you do that in, in, in proper context because I think it's very, very healthy and, and, and serves, serves me well in a lot of situations, but you, you want to, you want to be checking that. So, so through repetition and, and, uh, and reflection. Heck yeah, that is a great answer. And, I love that you said like empathy has been such an important part of, well, just of who you are and how you do your job. And you got to figure out how to make it work the right way for the business at different roles. And I'll give you an example. I know lots of people that are like super funny and being funny and being able to inject humor into things is amazing, but you don't want to inject humor into every single situation. You need to know how to use that thing. So it benefits people. So any ability and, and, you know, again, I, I define a skill as something that you learn and that you hone where an ability is something that you have naturally and that, and that you, you hone that as well, but a skill, something you learn an ability, something you have, it sounds like you had some natural ability around empathy and you had just had to figure out how best to use it at each role as you've gone up. Certainly. And, and, you know, I came across, uh, I came across a framework that I, uh, that I, that I found pretty, uh, pretty helpful on, on this, on this whole topic and typical two by two matrix where you have, accountability on the y-axis and you have empathy on the on the x-axis and and you say so within there there's the there's the there's the four boxes and if you're if you're low on both you know in in and, I, and you know you can look at this through a cultural lens if you're if you have if you're a low low culture and low empathy organization that's the nightmare right it's 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 yeah, there's yeah. nothing good that has on there but if you're if you're if you're empathetic without accountability you got the country club or the daycare or whatever you want to call it and if you're if you're high accountability with no empathy then you're uh you're the boot camp or you're you're some you know, militaristic type of type of scenario but if you can get the right amount of both in that top quadrant and and be empathetic but also accountable uh it, that's where the that's where the magic is and it's it's something that we've traded on in our in our business like we're our industry is is known to be uh, you know, have a lot of challenges to it and stress to it and different and different types of different types of pressures. If you can have a culture that says, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to figure this, we're going to figure this out together. And sometimes culture gets misused, you know, and you say, Oh, your place has a good culture. Well, that must mean everybody's nice and nobody, nobody has that, uh, has, has that tough conversation. And, and we, we have to routinely clarify that in our business and say, yeah, yeah we, have, we have a great culture guys, but accountability is, is actually a, a big, big part of that. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Um, that idea of, of good culture gets weaponized a lot to, so that people can like very often people, not very often, sometimes people bring up the idea of culture because they want the environment to adapt to them and they'll use something like culture, be like, oh, it's, it's not a good culture if, and what they're trying to say is the culture is not good if I don't get to act how I want to act. That means you have a bad culture. And because culture is such like a, a important thing, but also it's like a very hot topic right now that people can become reactive. Like, oh no, we got some feedback that we have a bad culture. It's like, no, no, no. Like, first of all, like let's pay attention to what this person's saying. It's important. But is this someone who's willing to adapt to the environment? And our job is to make sure that environment does reflect what our values are. Or is this person trying to weaponize things to make the environment adapt to them? And it's an interesting thing because very often organizations will bring me back like, oh, we were told that our culture wasn't good. And then we'll, we'll kind of do a deep dive and be like, no, your culture is great. We think that what I think is happening here is someone's actually like kind of like bombing you a little bit with this idea and it's, it's putting you on your heels. And not always. Sometimes it's in between and sometimes there's work to be done on both sides. But culture is super important, but the idea of it can get weaponized if people are trying to manipulate you into something. Yeah. And it cannot, it can be misinterpreted where, where you say, okay, well, we want a good culture and we have a good culture. And that may be a reason why I wouldn't have that, that tough conversation with so-and-so because we want to make sure everybody feels, you know, feels good. And you go, yeah. uh, no, that's actually the exact opposite. Like if you don't, if we're not letting people, people know where they stand, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's actually cruel. That's not, it's not right. All right. So one more question about you and then let's switch over to, um, to talking about your industry. What's a piece of feedback that you've gotten that you've 
struggled to adapt to or that you're still working on? Um, I think more recently, uh, Aram, it would probably be around um, the fact that sometimes there will be some people that would find my approach or me intimidating in certain, certain situations. You know, when I first heard that, I, I, I was genuinely puzzled and I, I you know, found, found it, you know, almost hard to believe, but, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as time has progressed and I, and, and, uh, and I would, I would pick that up and, and solicit that from, from, uh, from other people and say, yeah, there can be situations in a, in a meeting where, yeah, you're going to, you know, your, your words are going to, are going to carry a bunch of weight or that discussion is, or that meeting is going to go differently because, because you're in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as, as somebody who joined the business as a kid and sort of grew up in it and, and still feel myself to be, you know, youthful and, 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 uh, and, and sort of genuine. I just go, I just go, so what am I, what am I doing? That's sort of giving that impression. That's not my intention. And, mm-hmm. and I, and recognizing that some people may, may intentionally go down that path and want to, and want to use power that way or, or, uh, or, or think about it that way. And I just, and for me, that's the farthest thing from my mind. I'm, I'm always to say, how do we get to the right outcome team? And that's, 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 that's what I'm interested in. And I, and I would love it if, I would love it if, if, uh, if you did it, uh, you know, it was your idea and, and, and carried it and carried it through. So that's a piece that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still call it aware of and working on and, uh, and, uh, recognize that sometimes you don't, as an executive leader now, you don't necessarily start at level par with people. There's a, there's almost an assumption, uh, you know, oh, I got this title. And so obviously you're somebody and you're something and, and you say, okay, well, let's, let's break that down and, and get back to level here. And, and let's actually just talk about what, what, uh, what's going on. Totally. It's like, a, it's odd how like a title can kind of like strip away a little bit of your humanity. You know, it's like suddenly you're just like a figurehead instead of just being a person who's like vulnerable and has like things are excited about and things are afraid of. And um, can I give you a piece of feedback to consider around this? Please. Okay. Um, there are three things that I think it's uh, what I'd suggest is consider tone setting and tone setting happens in the first two to five minutes of a conversation. And there's always someone setting the tone. Always either you're setting the tone or I'm setting the tone or co-creating the tone and tone setting is like a pretty wild thing because if we're kind of like if we're the leader in the room or perhaps we're the person facilitating the conversation or maybe we're going to have a presentation, whatever it is, if we come in and we start speaking as speakers, we don't usually become our, our best version of ourselves until around the five to seven minute mark. Cause you know, you're, it's like warming up an engine, right? It, it gets warm, then it's in proper operating space. So like that first, like five to seven minutes is just us getting, becoming our best version of the speaker. But our audience is paying the strictest amount of attention in the first two to five minutes that we're speaking. And they're using that two to five minutes to judge the tone. Is this gonna be valuable? Does this person think think I should be here? Do they respect me? Do the, like, is this gonna be a scary meeting? You know, should I go all in on it? And it's this weird inverted scale because we're just trying to get, we're like, I'm trying to warm up my engine here. But everyone, like the other people are like, oh, well, what's happening? And that two to five minutes and getting really good at it has to do with making sure that we're locked in on three things. And the three things are our expression. And around our expression, it's like from the tip of your nose to the top of your forehead, and then from just under your nose to the bottom of your chin, you want to make sure that because they, they kind of operate separately, you want to make sure both of these things are working together, saying the same thing. And the thing that they're saying is actually on, on point to what you're actually saying. So like your facial expression is supposed to match the content of what you're saying. So the first thing is facial expression. The second thing is how you're saying it. So it's your tone of voice, how quickly you're speaking, what your volume is, where your enunciation is. And then the third is the content of what you're saying. And one of the things that I always see with great leaders that they maybe get like called intimidating or and part of it is, of course, title. And that's, you know, we get that humanity stripped away from us, even if we're super nice, right? But a lot of it is, right, that two to five minutes is they don't know how to set the tone from moment one. And not only that, it's what's happening what's happening here and with their tone of how they're speaking is off from their content. Our audience doesn't know that. They don't recognize that right off the bat, but they're left with a, they're trying to reconcile what they're seeing and hearing with what 
the content of what we're saying is. And the closer, the closer you can get to closing the gap between those three things. So they all work together, the better you can be at tone setting right off that bat in that first two to five minutes. Yeah, that's great feedback and, uh, and, and perspective on that. And we all know around, uh, cues of body language and the power of the power of those things, um, being actually greater, uh, than, than just voice, uh, or word or content as, as you say, and that, uh, that certainly, uh, certainly rings true. Can I give you a super easy way to work on it? Uh, so anyone who wants to work on this stuff, like you do not need to pay a coach for this. Like it, it, I would tell people you don't need to take a class or anything. All you need to do is get an iPad or a tablet, whatever it is, do your phone calls like phone calls, like actually have a phone call, uh, but record yourself on video as you're doing it and speak to yourself, like literally look at yourself as you're speaking. Now, of course you want to put it in a headset so you're not recording the other person as you're speaking or else that's like creepy and illegal. But as you're speaking, you're recording how you're sounding and you're getting instant feedback on how you're looking. And the beautiful thing is the other person can't see you. So you can try a bunch of different stuff. You can see how things feel. If you do that, and then as soon as you're done the call, the minute you're done the call, go back and watch it. Um, and let's say it's like a 20 minute call. Don't watch the whole 20 minutes. Watch the first five minutes, then go into the middle, watch three to five minutes, and then go to the end and watch the last like two minutes. If you get that instant feedback loop and you record yourself, anyone who does that about twice a week for six weeks will easily conquer this. No problem. You don't need to see a coach. You don't need to go to some course, any of those things. It's all just about saying like, how do I want to come across? But you can't, you can't do that unless you become your own audience. So in a live setting, you want to be able to see what kind of signals you're throwing up. Sounds like you have some, uh, have some experience with this, uh, with this working. Oh my God. I, well, first of all, I like, I started as a therapist. I was a therapist before I did this. And in my first year, my boss took me aside and was like, I just have to tell you, you are a terrible therapist. And I was like, oh, no. And he's like, you talk too much. You talk too fast. You take up too much space in the conversation. Your physical presence is off. So everything that I, not everything, a lot of our communication stuff that we teach, it's because I actually taught myself this. I just had to figure out how to do it with like, as a therapist, you don't have a training budget, right? So you just have to figure it out. And plus, like, I was pretty sure I was going to get fired if I didn't get really good, really fast at this stuff. So I learned how to do it. And I'm just a big believer in like, I totally think coaching is a very important thing. Obviously, obviously I, I started this company, but I also think a lot of stuff is like, don't put, don't put the power in the hands of a coach or a mentor, get the feedback, but then figure out your own system of doing it. And this is one that most people can just work on. And it is, it is the way that I manage my own stuff. Great advice. All right, let's hear about the industry that you're in, man. I am like, I can only imagine what transportation is like in this day and age of this really seriously pressured uh, supply chain situation. So what's happening in your industry around that? Yeah, it's uh, it, it certainly become more in vogue and i'll, I'll say uh, i'll say even dialing back to the start of the the pandemic where uh, where there was there was a, a genuine spotlight and and ultimately appreciation for uh those that uh you know move move the goods around that people depend upon and and uh, that's kind of continued through uh through this period and now everybody's wondering you know okay so what's what's wrong what's wrong with the supply chain and those that are participating in it and and you know the the things around uh you know port backups and driver shortages and all those things are are much more in the in the general uh, in the general public view and for those that have of us that have been in the industry for a while i, I think you know, we can have a, a bit of a broader perspective on this. And I'll say, firstly, number one, the, the fact is that there's always disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, they just vary in levels of severity and duration. And, uh, and, and so we're in, we're in one or a series of ones right, right now that are, that are longer and more severe. And so, so there's, so there's a, there's a bit more appreciation of it, but since I've been in the, in the industry, there's always something, there's always something dramatically changing. And, and it's, it's, all, you know, to a large degree, because we've, you know, pushed the envelope globally in terms of, you know, what it is that we would expect. And, and, you know, going from where we, you know, where we were 30 years ago to say, you know, it should be nice when, uh, you know, when produce season starts again, and we'll get, we'll get some fresh fruit in the store. To you know, to now punching a button on our phone and, and expecting uh, you know a, you know a, a certain object or or piece of food to arrive at my at, at my at my given location within minutes. You know, and that's that's kind of uh, the evolution of supply chain. So we've 
we've amped it up considerably. It's far more global. There's so many more moving parts and every organization is trying to do it as efficiently and lean as possible. And so, so it's prone to, it's prone to some of these things. And, and right now we're going through a supply and demand shock at the same time as demand, demand is up. Supply is actually maintained pretty well through, through, through this thing, all things considered. It's just that demand has continued to be sort of, you know, inordinate for, for a bunch of different things over a bunch of different periods. And, and that's, uh, and that's causing some strain. So, um, in terms of our industry itself and, and our, our business is, is a, uh, is a, is, is one of the transportation intermediaries. So we have the, you know, 2,150 trucks on the road. We have 5,000 trailers that we're using to move goods across North America. And we, we also, you know, move things on the rail and move things through other, uh, through other companies on our behalf. And so, you know, you know, our business is full on out every day to say, you know, how is, how is it that we continually hone you know, what it is that we do, uh, the value proposition, not only for the people that are paying us to move the goods, but for those that are actually doing the actual work to do it. And, uh, and there's, uh, you know, there's lots of moving parts. It's what's drawn me into the business to begin with. It's like putting a puzzle together all the time and, and saying, how do we, how do we make this, uh, how do we make this work? But it's, uh, uh, yeah, without, without question, um, there's, uh, there's some real challenges these days. Man, you hit on some stuff there that I, I we got to go deeper on. So first, I love what you said. It was like, hey, supply chain has always got challenges. And something you kind of, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'll, I'll certainly say it's like, it's very, um, it's like a real media talking point right now. Like supply chain, like, ah, oh, the supply chain. And I can only imagine being in that industry, just be like, every time you hear this being like, oh my God, like we're on it, we're doing it, like we're taking care of it. And yeah, like the supply chain is there's there's pressure and all that, but there's always been pressure, especially with the the uh, injection of technology. Like what you said about like going from like, wow, I hope we get mangoes, you know, when when the time comes to, hey, I ordered a mango like five minutes ago. Where is it? Like, I don't even know how your industry has been able to meet that switch in technology that seems to have taken place in a very short period. So how have you been able to even rise to the challenge? Forget the pandemic. How have how has the business been able to rise to the challenge in this since technology became such a major factor? I would, I would say in, through investing in people, investing in the technology itself to uh, to make uh, you know to make more of these things uh, more of these things possible. Uh, I'll give you an example in in the in the early days you know, when I started. You know, if you were dispatching a truck, you had to be really sure on what those instructions were when he was on the payphone and you were on the telephone and and you gave you gave that direction and he was going to you know head out 500 miles in, in one direction you had no other way to contact that individual if something changed like right after you hung up the phone he's he's gone and so you go from that era to to today where we have instantaneous tracking on Every piece of equipment, the activity, the the people can connect to each other simultaneously. There's there's data that's being fed and then filtered into saying, and then and then we boil it up to say, here are the things that actually matter. Uh, so there's all these things going on, but 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 smart, uh, you know, smart design, smart process work, and say, here are the things that actually matter that that need attention, and then you can make the whole problem manageable that that way. And so, you know, technology is created challenges it's, it's it, as you say it's raised the bar in some circumstances but it's also hugely enabling and and there's lots that will think that we are just in the very early innings of that as it applies to transportation uh some may say you know transportation has even been a, a a laggard in some in some regards in terms of how how it's gotten there and there's a there's a term out there now called freight tech uh which you know is really you know only coined in the last five years seriously and everybody's piling money into into freight and the technology that supports the movement of of goods uh because they think that's the there's the next uberization that's going to that's going to happen to uh, to the to the movement of goods and like many things that are hyped there's there's a lot of call it uh, outsized expectations around it uh, like most things that are hyped there's also nuggets of real truth and value in there and and, and that is that is going to happen yeah well it's it's fascinating to me because like so i've done a lot of work with like uh, railways a ton of work and basically in, in different kinds of uh, areas of transportation and this whole like the system figuring it out 
going step by step, thoughtful diligence, kind of learning by falling on its face or having these big leaps of like, oh, that's how we, we can do this. It's like how good business is done. That's how you figure it out. But then suddenly the expectation of like, oh, wow, I can't wait till mangoes are in season. I'm going to get them, you know, in whenever that is at some point too. I want my mango in five minutes that I just ordered on whatever mango delivery service. How do you handle the expectation side of it? Because you've talked a lot about like figuring out the system. What about just the psychology of expectation? Yeah, it's, it's massive, Aram. And I think you're hitting, you're hitting exactly on it. And I think every business has to deal with that in ours, uh, no exception. And it's from all, it's from all stakeholders, right? There's the, there's the expectation of, of the customer who pays, who, who pays, pays your wage. And, and there's the expectation of, of, in our case, say the driver who earns your wage. And then there's the expectation of the employee and colleague and, and what, uh, what their, what their job is like and how fulfilling it is and how reasonable it is and, and, and all, and all those things. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amped up every single year period since I've been in the, since I've been in the business and I, I don't see it slowing down on, on any of, on any of those fronts. And I should add the, you know, stakeholder shareholder element and, and there's, you know, there's, there's expectation. Yeah, that's great. But you know, how do we get to the next level here? Totally. Can I share a story with you from like my, my punk roots? Yeah, great. I grew up playing in punk bands and, and I ran a, like a record label called React Records. And I will never, ever, ever forget this. Like you put a record up for pre-order. And when I say a record, it's like you're selling like a thousand records to people all over the world. But it's just like you and your friends who are like packaging these things. So you, you sell the records, you get them and you got to like on your spare time, not when you're working or in school or anything like you're doing this on your weekends or at night, you're packing records. And I'll never forget the feeling of like selling someone a record. And then within five days, they're like, where's my record? And it's like, I literally couldn't have gotten you this record in five, in five days. It's impossible to, even if I mailed it from the moment that you bought it, I couldn't get it to your house right now. And getting these like deeply angry, insulting emails, like, you know, you reflect the worst part of like the punk scene. It's like, homie, I, you bought a seven inch record. <laughs> like, like, give me, give me two weeks, give me a month, you know, and you'll get it. And as you're telling the story, I just think it's like, instead of having like five angry emails from like hardcore kids across the world, it would be like having thousands and thousands and thousands of people wanting something, but blaming the transportation and supply chain as if there hadn't been all this good work and good people and good thinking behind it. It's like, you let us down. It's like, well, no, like we're, we're trying to meet this need. I can only imagine what it would be like to keep the health of an organization under that amount of strain. So I, that, I, I want to go there in a second, but like any thoughts on what I just said there around that like level of expectation? It's on the one hand, it's daunting and, and even in some situations like yours, uh, potentially unfair, perhaps <laughs> in terms of how, how that, how that comes across. Um, you know, on, on the other, on the other hand, it's, it's, it's kind of how, it's kind of how we've evolved, right? If you take, take a look at it as, as, as people and, um, you say the reason why we've gotten this far is that we're not satisfied with what today is. You're trying to remind yourself of that when somebody's when somebody's being completely unreasonable about what about what it is that you can or should be able to do in a situation. Um, but that's that's maybe how I uh, either rationalize or uh, or make sense of uh, make sense of, of of the whole expectations piece. Yeah. Well, my friend, you will, you will never know the fury of the fury of a hardcore kid in wherever the heck they're from demanding their seven inch record that they spent $8 on. They're very angry that they didn't get their seven inch record. I hope you never have to experience that. Um, well, in the, in the punk scene, which I think is where your roots are. I, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, like that's part of the breeding to begin with is to be hair trigger on, on, <laughs> on any, on anything. So. <laughs> the system, man, the system. <laughs> All right. I have, I have, a few questions left for you. I got one question about uh, organizational health, and then I'm going to have three more questions as we as we close off. So my question around organizational health, like you have scaled up, like, wow, the, the organization has grown a lot in your time. And I love what you said. It's like, it's always kind of a different company for me because I'm in different phases of the company. So it's like a different thing. But you work in a, in a job where there's high expectation, you know, like where people want 
whatever, whoever's waiting for those goods at the other end, they're waiting, they're waiting for it. And also like we're in this time where we're, of course, in Vancouver, we're, we're in the middle of a natural disaster and, you know, our hearts go out to everyone in the lower mainland who's, uh, who's really suffering some serious consequences of this. Absolutely. How do you as a leader maintain the health and wellness of an organization that is racing at, at the best of times is like, you know, always racing to kind of get stuff to people, but also that has to accommodate and shift and move in situations like the pandemic and then this natural disaster. How do you keep your organizational whole and healthy? One of the keys for, for us is, is positive reinforcement. Um, you know, feedback is something that is so valuable. Everybody knows it, but it's, it's still often in short supply. Our job as a business is, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time focusing on what's not right what didn't get there, what, uh, you know, what, what, what job has not been, uh, uh, you know, not been carried out the right way or, or isn't fair to the individual doing it or any of those kinds of things. But one of those call it great leveling things is, is to say, you know, let's, let's remind ourselves, uh, what we're doing, what we're doing right. And, and remind this person what they're doing right and how valuable it is that, uh, that, that what it is that they're, that they're doing. And, and I think that's a that's a big part of it, and it's it's one that uh, I'll say is is a is a continual uh, need to remind ourselves to, to say let's let's make sure that we can we can find that right balance between not being oblivious to what the problems are, but to recognize where there is where there is good work and have a feeling of, of pride and satisfaction about uh, about what uh, about what's being uh, about what's being accomplished. It uh, it goes uh, it goes a long way. Heck yeah. I love that. All right. Here are the, the final three questions. Um, and they're tough ones. So, you know, like you can, you can take your time with each of them. So we get people from all different walks of life that come to hear about leadership at our podcast. So we got people you know, from the punk scene, people from the corporate world, people from athletics, people from social, um, like social and political uh, movements. And they're interested in hearing different takes on leadership. So if you were to think about yourself and yourself as a leader, what do you, what advice or thinking would you give people about what's important to you as a leader, being a leader? What's important to me as a, uh, as a leader and has been throughout is, is, uh, you know, that, that recognition that, uh, as a leader, you've got, uh, you got a responsibility to, to, to serve others, uh, and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there can be a misunderstanding or a wrongheaded approach about that sometimes. Okay. So now I'm a boss and I've got this team and they work for me and, 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 uh, and that should, and that should happen. But, uh, I think the correct view on leadership is, is around saying, okay, so how am I creating the, the environment, the circumstances, the, the ability for people to be successful? Because, the degree to which I'll be deemed to be successful is, is going to be largely measured through the efforts of others. And, uh, and so for me to be able to coordinate, motivate, uh, you know, bring into the, bring into that, into that mindset, I think is, is, is the core function of a leader. Obviously nobody can lead if they don't take care of themselves first and, and, and have that, uh, and have that part, uh, you know, figured out. Um, but it's through the efforts of others. And, and I think that's, that's a key, key recognition for, uh, for, for anybody in a, in a leadership role. Heck yeah. I, I love that. All right. Uh, next is if you were to think about people who are totally outside of your industry, they don't, they, they don't work in it. What's something that you'd want people who are from outside your industry to understand about your industry to like really get. I think topical right now, and, and it has been, and, and we maybe touched on it a little bit around, um, you know, through the through the conversation. But we talk about the you know the the driver, the driver shortage, and and uh, and for some it's like this uh, kind of new concept. And and I, I think what people have to understand about our our industry is that this is a um, this is a a longstanding issue that has been generally under attended to and it's a it's a it's a complex issue that you know for more time than we would that we would have today but i would i would just say uh appreciate the men and women who are out there that are uh that are that are getting these things figured out uh on our behalf and allow us to enjoy the standard of living that we uh that that we have and as i said in the pandemic shone some light on that and you know but our, our memories are always are always fleeting and 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 so I think I think that's an important piece of it. You know, technology is a great enabler, and and there's much conversation and hype about you know when the trucks are are going to drive themselves. But in reality, that's uh, that's a that's a ways off. Uh, they're mm-hmm. going to continue to get safer and 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 better to operate and all the rest of it. But until then, 
uh, we need we need folks who are who are motivated and positively reinforced for doing for doing the work that they they do for us. Yeah, I, I love that. And also, I'm a little terrified of the idea that that might be happening. The self-driving trucks. A, that's scary. B, Skynet, the Terminator. How close are we to the Terminator if that starts happening? Uh, <laughs> final question. Across any genre, any country, anything you want, three of your favorite bands of all time. Well, I'm not going to pander here, uh, Aaron, but uh, the Ramones were one of my uh, formative, yeah. uh, formative bands from that era. Um Guns N' Roses, I yeah. had a heavy, heavy phase and still, uh, still an appreciation. And, uh, you know, more contemporary, maybe been a big fan of you 2 and what they've done over the years and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and all the rest of it. So I, I've, I've got a, I've got a, a varied, uh, varied approach to the music, but I, I definitely had a, had a punk phase and still appreciate if if it's alt rock now or whatever uh, whatever the, the terminology would be there's there's a bunch of good stuff that happened in that in that era heck yeah well you just let me know if you ever want to shave your head and uh be a roadie for my band i would love to have you so you're, you're more than welcome to join us anytime well i'm in winnipeg today i don't know if the royal albert is still going or not but uh, <laughs> i i've been i've been there so heck yeah that's awesome man all right well trevor thank you so much for joining us anything that you want to add in before we close off today you know, uh, just appreciation for uh, for the opportunity to speak with you, Aram. I've uh, I've admired uh, the work and the fact that you've built a business up around uh, around coaching. I think it is a it's a concept that I I wasn't originally familiar with, sort of going back a number of years ago. But I I, I became familiar with the concept of business coaching and 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 have been engaged with a coach for over twelve years now. Somebody outside of the business that gives perspective on on what's you know, you know, what you, who you are and what you might be different than what you're going to get from your regular circles. And so, so I'll just say, uh, you know, props to that. It's, it's important conversation and, uh, and hope, uh, you have continued success. Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much, Trevor, everyone. We appreciate you joining us. And this has been an episode of one step beyond. One.